Is money slipping through your fingers? Are you missing your opportunity to become a millionaire? Welcome to The Millionaire Choice, where we talk to millionaires and future millionaires about how to build wealth and what to do with it once you have it. We're here to help you do two things. Make your millionaire choice and create your own millionaire plan. Here's your host, speaker, wealth coach, and author of The Millionaire Choice. He made his choice and he created his millionaire plan at age 25. Now it's your turn. Welcome your host, Tony Bradshaw. Welcome back to the Millionaire Choice Show. And today on the show, I'm really excited to be introducing you all, you future millionaires out there, to Derek Kinney. Derek and I have just met for the first time here in the last 15 minutes. And man, does he have a great story and a great heart. He's going to bring something new that you guys, I don't think I've heard on the show before. And I'm eager to, to give him the floor and let him share his heart about money with you. He is the author of Good Money Revolution and the host of the Good Money Podcast. So if you were looking for another money podcast to listen to, check out Good Money Podcast. I'm sure it's going to be a good one for you guys to check out. Now, another thing you need to know about Derek is that he uh, formerly owned his own financial advisory business, sold it uh, just a little while ago. But before he sold it, he was actually named by Forbes as one of the top financial advisors in the country. So we're in for a real treat on the show today. Welcome to the show, Derek. Tony, thanks for having me. I, I can see why your listeners love the content because we connect so well. And I think this is going to be a really engaging, fun conversation. Yeah, I appreciate that. And now you have your own show. So you've been doing this for a while. This isn't your first rodeo, you know, helping people with their money. And, uh, but you didn't grow up in just a wealthy family. And I think like so many of us, you know, a lot of times people look at millionaires and go, oh, you were so fortunate. You, you know, you had the silver spoon, you had the pedigree, you had the home life. And that's just not the truth. I mean, 80% of the millionaires in the United States are first generation millionaires. Uh, I'm one of those. I believe you're one of those as well. But uh, it seems like you're, the, the concept of money and building wealth actually clicked for you a lot sooner than it did for me. Well, it's interesting because growing up, I just liked money. It was fun to make it. It was also fun to give it. But you know, growing up, I was in basically, I'd say, a lower middle class household. I, you know, most people want to tell the story of I walked uphill, you know, in the snow both ways, and had to carry a baked potato to keep me warm and eat that for lunch and do that again the next day. It wasn't a story like that, Tony. But what I realized was I had a mom and a dad who deeply cared about my sister and I. But my dad was a nine to five person. And so he would work really hard from nine to five, but there wasn't any additional money above that. I remember playing baseball. Now, I was not the best baseball player. I was the baseball player that the mom or dad pushed on the team and really wasn't that good. So to compound it, we went down to Kmart the morning of and bought these blue sneakers was all that we could afford. I get to the dugout. All the players have their nice, white, fresh cleats. So here, the worst player on the team stands out with these goofy-looking blue tennis shoes. I mean, all, all those things were just symptomatic of, I want this story to end, and I'm ready to write a new chapter for it. And so that's really how I viewed money was money was a doorway, not to just make a ton of it to pad my bank account and, and feel super rich. But it was a way to have a lifestyle I wanted, but then it allowed me to give to some of the causes I deeply cared about. And a funny thing happened 
it allowed me to keep making more money because I wanted to give more to the causes, which drove me to make more money, which allowed me to give more to the causes. So it was a beautiful concept and one that I think a lot of business owners listening can apply to their business as well. Yeah, I love your heart around that. I, I don't want to pass on it because you, there's a wonderful book out called uh, Blessed Life by Robert mm-hmm. Morris. And it, and it comes from the same vein that I think where your heart's at, which is uh, you, you develop very early a sense of, uh, of giving, right? And so that was really what drove your, you know, your drive for finances and to build your financial you know, future. Um, that's a rare thing. You know, most people don't uh, look at the purpose, develop their purpose that young. It sounds like you had a purpose behind your money at a very young age. Well, I did. Now, part of it sort of happened to me. So let me take you to college. And I graduated the, the University of Texas at Arlington. And as a communication major, I took one finance class in college. I realized not many people were looking to pay big bucks to a liberal arts graduate. So the jobs I took were either the, you know, the, the fundraiser for the United Way or working as a marketing person. So I go to work for a marketing company and I'm the one non-engineer there. Okay, all these guys are bringing their dogs to work. They've got the ponytails, the shorts, the flip-flops. And I'm kind of a, a nice dress it up kind of guy. So I'm there about a year. And this is the type of company, Tony, where the boss would come to us on Friday and say, hey, by the way, Saturday, tomorrow's going to be a work day. We need to catch up on stuff. And I would just melt because I'd already had plans made with my wife and I had to call her and say, honey, you know, the boss said tomorrow's a work day. But I think really the, the sort of the, the, the deal that broke the camel's back was our paychecks bounced twice. So imagine this. Imagine writing your tithing check to your local church and you realize, I just wrote a hot check to my church. That was terrible. So when that happened a second time, I really took a, a hard look at things. And what I realized was, and this was an epiphany for me, Tony, and that is that my dad faced a fork in the road, much like I did in this moment. And the fork was, I could either continue to choose to work for someone else and let them dictate how much I'm worth according to them in the form of a yearly raise or a bonus, those kind of things. Or I could put all the chips on the table and back myself against the wall and go make something happen. And I realized both pathways had pros and cons, but one of them clearly had more upside because I really believed in myself. And that's what I chose to do. So while I was working full time, I began to go back and get licensed as a financial advisor. Like I said, I took one class in college, but I just had a desire to help people. And I realized I could learn and that would the learning would eventually catch up with my desire to help people. And it took about six months to get fully licensed and take the jump. But people told me, Derek, you're going to fail. You don't have enough money and cash reserves to build a business. Uh, you're not going to make it. And it was all of that negative comment that really fueled me for positive results. Now, you can't live there long term. Now, I don't think you can just say, hey, because the world's against me, I'm going to go make a lot of money. But I use that as fuel to say, you will not tell me if I will fail. And you will not tell me what my worth is. I want to dictate those things myself so I can really do more good for those clients and for the world. Yeah, I love the, the concept there is risk, right? You, you took on a risk, but you have you understood the potential upside there. And I think that's something, you know, when I think about, uh, you know, my career and where I've been, you can put 15 years into somebody else's business at which time, you know, you may or may not get let go. 
what do you get to take forward with you? You get to take forward your experience that you had. Uh, hopefully that's worth something. Um, but you've, you've sowed 15 years of your life into something that you don't yourself own and therefore can be yeah. taken away from you. And I think that's a newer thinking for me because I grew up with a job mentality. You know, my parents worked really hard. My mom and dad always worked for someone else. Um, I worked with them. So I learned, you know, a good, solid, strong work ethic. But the concept of working for yourself or being having that amount of freedom is something that's only been new to me in the last, you know, five years, six years. And the interesting thing about that, I'm sure you'll say this too, is is the amount of freedom you have to come and go as you want and and do things with your family. You still have, you know, obligations, but it really takes your it takes you a while to get your head around that. It's like a it's like a it's like a different place. It's like a different world almost. And um and I think for people that haven't been there, it, it's hard to it's hard to understand. Like you mean you mean I don't I, I don't have to settle for three weeks vacation a year. You mean I can go spend three months in Florida every summer with my kids and my family? What are, what are you talking about? Like that's something right. totally right. different, you know? So have you have you been able to take advantage of that side of not having a job and being able to uh, have more freedom? Yeah, you know it's interesting because looking back on my dad. You know, he lived in a world of being told what to do. And he was such an encourager to me. He would always say, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And he would always talk about taking a risk and making money, but yet he would come to the precipice, but he couldn't do it. And I remember my mom asking me one time, she said, just just out of pure curiosity, she said, Derek, are you a millionaire? And the moment my mom asked me that question, it flooded me with so many emotions because I said, yeah. And in my world, that didn't mean a whole lot because I knew that what it took to get to the first million and then the second and the third, it just advanced in levels. But she was raised with, if you're a millionaire, then you're set. And so we saw the word millionaire from two different paradigms. Mm -hmm. And my dad would often say, he died about a year and a half ago, he would say, Derek, how did you take so much risk? I don't understand how you could do all that. And when I told him, most well, dad, you take one risk and then you typically take a setback and you move even further forward. And then you take a second risk, having learned what you did from the first risk. And, and you're, you're basically de-risking as you're taking on more risk. And he really couldn't get his head around that. But I realized you have to take risk to then have less risk on your next risk because you're betting on yourself at deeper levels every step that you're moving up that ladder. So, you know, I, I think back even as a financial advisor, my first acquisition was a financial planning practice in Dallas, and this would have doubled our size. And there was no way I could afford it, but I just prayed, God, if you want me to buy this, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep moving forward. You keep either opening the door or closing the door. And the door kept opening and kept opening. And the bank financing completely fell through. I had to have a relative. I didn't have much money back then. Loan me the down payment for it. But it began to cash flow like that. Now, there were some dark times. We faced almost bankruptcy. The advisors we bought it from violated their non-compete agreements. I began to hemorrhage cash, lose clients. It was a terrible situation. But I felt like God said, Derek, through the situation, you're going to become a better leader and draw closer to me. And those were two things that I definitely had happened to me. And I'm so thankful because of all the lessons I learned in that. But out of that, I kept saving money 
They kept saving money. The market was in a free fall then, but when things turned back around, that period of time, that two-year period when it was the worst business-wise turned out to be some of the best financial-wise because I didn't let a business tragedy also become an investment tragedy as well, if that makes sense. Oh, I love it. I love the, the way you put that too, especially with your dad when you're talking about de-risking. I think a lot of people don't understand how to take that first step. And the, the reality is, you know, the, I guess the best way to say it is like when I was 25, using this example for you future millionaires listening, is it's not that you have to have all the answers. It's not that you even have to be that smart. What you have to do is get going in the right direction. And by going in the right direction, you can take, yeah. you know, like Derek said, that next step. And then once you get that step, you know, there's a little risk involved in that. Then you can, you can see the step after that. And then you can see the step after that. And sometimes there might be setbacks, right? But you, you take two or three steps forward. You maybe take one step back. That's okay. You know, you're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes, right? And then hopefully they're not fatal mistakes. And so you keep right. moving, you keep moving forward, right? Those are the ones you want to avoid. Mistakes are okay. Fatal mistakes are not okay. But the, the reality is no one ever saw, like, I still remember working with Dave Ramsey. I love this. Early days, 30, 30 employees. I remember Dave Ramsey going, I never wanted employees. I still remember that. You know how many employees he has today? Like a, over a thousand. Yeah, yeah. And he, he couldn't see a thousand employees when he started, you know, doing what he was doing, you know, helping people with their money and teaching. All he could do is see the next step. And then you make the next best decision you can, the next best decision. And you grow along the way. And that, you know, that like you were saying, it, it's de-risking along the way because you're not going to make the big bet the farm decision early in your process. You're going to make smaller decisions that you're competent to make. And, you know, I love to say that I started saying this, you know, invest at the competency level that you have. Yes. Um, you know, don't don't go out and, you know, leverage the farm or do a lot of high level leverage on uh, deals because you're just not competent at that level yet. What you got to do is is operate where you're competent at so that you can build experience and knowledge along the way. I think the other thing um, that I hear about you, I didn't hear you say this, but I'm sure it happened, is uh, attaching yourself to people that are going in the direction that you want to go. So did you as you did your business deals? Did you figure that out along the way on your own or did you happen to get attached to some people that could guide you or help pull you along your, you know, your path? Yeah, one of the things I learned, well, first of all, just because someone is older than you doesn't mean they're wiser than you. Number two, just because someone is older age-wise and been in the business longer doesn't mean they always know exactly what to do. And third, you can often learn as much from people who do really dumb things in the business you're in versus the ones that do really successful things. Because sometimes it's about not doing certain things that can move you up the ladder. So, well, let me go back to the Dallas acquisition. Once we got that in place and things began to grow again, again, that was, that was a really, really dark time, just to be candid. It, it was hard because I questioned, did I make the right decision? But I remember my wife and I talking one night, and it was one of those, you know, really critical moments. And she said, Derek, you've never run from any challenge. You've always run into it. And so that motivation caused me to say, you know what? Not many other people, A, would choose to double their practice on an acquisition. Not many other people have this type of adversity they're facing right now. And therefore, how you're feeling, that crunchy feeling, that nervousness, that worry, is real and it's also very normal. 
That's the normal way to feel when all has turned against you. So just take it one step at a time, one step at a time. And let me share a story with you. Let me let me kind of go about 15 years later now. And I was in my office uh, catching up on a Saturday morning and my boss hadn't told me to be there. Now I'm there because I'm the boss and wanted to be there just for the record. And I saw my voicemail light blinking and I began to just hear a voice inside say, Derek, you need to listen to this message. I pressed the button and to my shock and horror was a frantic woman's voice that said, Derek, you have to call me back today. I bounced a check and I'm going to jail. Well, my gosh, what in the world? I've never heard somebody say to me, I bounce a check and I'm going to jail. So I knew I needed to call her back right then. This couldn't wait until Monday. We know bad news doesn't tend to get any better with age. So I called her back and I said, tell me what happened with the check. First of all, I forgot to move money from my savings to checking and I wrote a check on it and I got a non-sufficient funds letter in the mail and I'm in trouble and I'm going to jail. I said, okay, first of all, I'll call the bank with you Monday as a courtesy. We'll move the money and take care of that. But I said, second of all, why in the world are you saying you're going to go to jail? So she begins to tell me this story. She's 55 years old. She tells me when she was seven years old, she overheard her dad receiving a phone call from the manager of a store that he had just bought some clothes at and accidentally wrote a hot check there. It didn't move the money either. And the store manager said, because you bounce a check, I'm going to call the cops and I'm going to put you in jail. So as a seven-year-old girl, she equated, if you bounce a check, you go to jail. Now, when I began to hear her say that, it was an epiphany for me because this was a woman who on the outside looked successful, but mentally was held back financially, wouldn't take risks. She wouldn't buy the investments I had suggested that had done very, very well, but she could make the decision. And what happened was, she began to share with me as we began to dig deeper into this, her money beliefs were based on that she wasn't good enough, smart enough, and that she simply wasn't going to do well with money. That's how she lived her life. That was her belief system. And so for anyone listening right now, especially those that want to aspire to be a millionaire, you have to analyze how do you see money right now and why is it important to you? Just to say, I want to be a millionaire. And when you get there, you're going to realize it's kind of a lonely place because there's not a whole lot of other people with you. And there's not a cause as to what you can actually contribute to at that point and really make a difference. And so what it taught me was I needed to believe that money was good. Money was not bad. More of it was better, but not for how much I could build up in the bank account. And I always said the two commas was better than one, but for the good that I could do in the world. And that's what motivated me. And even when I grew my business, I then began to give money to local schools. I would recognize a teacher of the month and a student of the month because at my local alma mater, I wished someone had come back to my school and had done that for me and, and just breathed belief in me. So I wanted to do that for this next generation. So I give a $25 gift card to the student, $50 gift card to the teacher. You would have thought, Tony, that these people won the lottery. I mean, this was $75 to me, but for them, it was like a huge dollar amount. But what I realized was somebody was expressing belief in them. So back in the day, we had what are called newspapers. And so I would take a picture of myself and the principal and the student, and then a picture of myself and the principal and the teacher, and put that in the local newspaper. 
Well, I began to get phone calls from people saying, hey, Derek, we want to have you as our financial advisor. Well, the first couple of calls, I thought, hey, great, you know, good luck for me. But then I finally said, look, if you don't mind me asking, why out of all the advisors in town did you call me? And they said, Derek, we've heard you're good with money and you're a good advisor, but we like the work you're doing with education. We want to work with someone who cares about the same things we do. We like education. You like education. I think we can work really well together. That was the birth that I write about now in my book, Good Money Revolution, that I call the generosity purpose. And it's now picking out a cause that you care deeply about sharing that with your customers or clients and letting them be part of a bigger story, not just buying your product or service, but how they can be part of something bigger. So you're actually making more money and doing more good. And it deepens those customer relationships. Yeah. I love the whole story behind that. It's, it's so powerful. Uh, just how you connect uh, just mentally with money and you know with people. So you, you walked away from your, your financial advisory business and that just happened, what, in the last 12 months? Yeah, this was, I actually sold the business. Uh, this would have been January of 2020. And let me go back a quick second there. So every year I go away on what I call a sabbatical. So I take about five days completely by myself somewhere in the US and I ask myself three questions. How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better father? And how can I be a better business owner? And so those three questions guide me on that time together because my rationalization, Tony, is I want to take one week and really get strategic so that the other 51 weeks I run really fast, I'm running toward what it is I really, really want. And that helps me make more money and do more good. So this particular time, I'm at the W Hotel in Boston, Massachusetts, and I just felt like God was really working on my mind as, do I want to stay a financial advisor or is it time to sell and move on to something else? I always enjoyed, you know, TV, radio, writing, and, you know, could I take my message to a bigger platform? And as I sat in the hotel that day, I began to write out, what are the things I would enjoy doing? And I wrote out, write a book, launch a podcast, speak, coach, consult, to my surprise was not being a financial advisor. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy it, didn't love my clients, but I just realized I had sort of lost the passion for that. And I would be doing them a disservice if I stayed in that role because they needed someone who had a fresh perspective and the enthusiasm. I really wanted to sell that and put my back against the wall and move forward into this next venture. So that's, that's where I'm at right now, a year and a half into it. Well, congratulations on making the jump. I think the thing Thank that you. I hear... Just knowing, knowing this business and, and, you know, reaching people, you know, after working uh, with the Ramsey organization is uh, you, you're reaching a force multiplier. So you're very limited in the amount of people you can help as a financial advisor, but you're virtually unlimited in the amount of people you can help through your, you know, your books and your process. So I'm eager to see what it looked like in five years after you've been out there taking everything you've been equipped with on the front end, you know, the financial knowledge, the, the, the heart of giving that you have. Uh, making a difference in people's lives, and you're able to, you know, build up your platform uh, through the books, the you know, your show, and anything else you may end up developing. So, where are you? Uh, you know, you've been at this for a while. What are some of the biggest money problems you've kind of seen uh, that you've helped people deal with? The most common things that kind of train wreck them and bef- that keep them from getting on the right track and building wealth. 
One of the things that I find is that people determine they're either financially successful or unsuccessful where they are in their life right now. So let's say someone is 25, but they made some really bad money decisions. They begin to think, I'm just not good with money. Or somebody who's 55 that thinks I haven't saved enough, there's no hope for me, I can't do anything. And I really want to be a hope dealer to people right now and say, look, just because you haven't made the money moves you want, your past has passed. And there's many stories of people who become wildly successful in the latter part of their lives because they didn't let what happened in the first part of their lives hold them back. Rather, they use that as a teaching tool for them to learn from to then really take, you know, multiplier type of steps. And, you know, one of the things I see, and this is what concerns me the most. If you were to ask me, Derek, what's your, what's your biggest financial worry right now? That is, I meet so many adults that haven't done as well financially as they want, and they feel like they have no voice and no platform, no legitimacy at all to tell their kids or grandkids about money. And so now what happens is we've got one generation that didn't do as well as they wanted to watching the next generation not do as well financially because they feel like, what do I have to tell them? And that to me is the pathway to generational disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe right now this next generation has the potential to be the most affluent, prosperous generation, not just because of the technology and the opportunities out there, but if, if the generation like myself can get past themselves and realize the mistakes you've made with your money, the goof-ups, the really dumb things you've done can actually be tremendous vulnerability lessons for your kids and grandkids. It's powerful to let them know, hey, don't do this, do this. Let me give you an example. Back when COVID first occurred, you know, March, April of 2020, all our kids are back home again. It was like this redo of back when everybody was in high school together, all around the table. And we'd go around the table and talk about your day and everybody would kind of give a report. But I realized when they would say, hey, dad, how was your day? I was going to work with some clients to this. Okay, not a big deal. Box checked on to the next person. But the days where I said, guys, you're not going to believe this. I really screwed up today. I really made a bad decision. Suddenly, all eyes, Tony, were glued on dad. And it was this golden teaching moment that I just had to get past myself and say, yeah, I made this investment. I lost some money. Here's what I learned. And that was powerful. And my kids still talk about that. Hey, dad, you told us that if we invest, yeah, we may lose money, but it's going to come back up. When they can hear mom or dad be vulnerable and share real life stories, it lets them know they're normal and this type of adversity is normal. You know, one thing we know is that psychologists tell us the average person has three to four crises per year interrupted by the occasional emergency. So what that means, Tony, is that the average person, I know the people on this podcast are not average, but the average person is either coming out of a crisis or coming into one interrupted by the occasional emergency. And what that means is that if you're not prepared for that and expecting it, it can continually derail you on your life and your money. But I find that millionaires, people who have a success mentality, expect it. They're almost daring adversity come at me because I'm ready for you. I know you're coming and I'm ready. And when it comes, they take a very firm stance. They know this is part of the deal. And what we know is if you're going to make more money, you're going to have more adversity. 
just take all the problems, have a multiplier on it and realize this is really what life is about and this is how it works. And you have to blaze your trail through those things and realize there's just going to be more of it. Yeah, those are inspiring words. I think it uh, gives you a new perspective on uh, how the money gets there and how to you know break free from it. I, I totally agree with you on the generational stuff. Uh, you know, I think I was very fortunate because I was able to break free at age 25. You know, I got my W-2. I think I, you probably don't know my story, but got my first W-2 out of college, made 39 grand, but I was 16 grand in debt. And I'm like, uh, that's really not a good plan. A good plan. I don't, I don't really want to live that way. So I turned turned that around and started learning about cash and, and broke free. But you know, unfortunately, some of my family members didn't come along with me on that journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so you're seeing that perpetuation of uh, that cycle going forward. Now, uh, but breaking free from that. So you had to, like all of us, I think. I would be interested to hear how you did this. But um, as you mentioned, you know, people determine whether or not they're successful or with money based on where they are right now. I do. I agree with that. I think it's true. So, but at some point we all had to, I don't care if you're Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, whoever you are, you had to come to a point where you started learning about money and how it works. So that's, that's the difference between, I think, or one of the differences between people who build wealth and those that don't is because the people that don't never learn, you know, the steps on how to build wealth. When did you start seeing that transition for you? Uh, did you see a point, a definitive point in life where you just started learning how to multiply your money? Yeah, there were two moments that really stand out to me. First of all, I didn't know that I could become a millionaire. That that really wasn't a path that I thought I could be on. But I love to save money and I love to make money. Okay, so when I started my financial planning practice. You know, the sage advice somebody gave me was, Derek, become a friend with the phone because you're on the phone all the time. You get all these licenses you study for people to hang up on you, tell you no. And then he said, don't take any of it personally, because when people hang up on you, they're not criticizing you. You may have just revealed a crack in their situation. You may have made them feel vulnerable, whatever it is. So I began to grow my business. And what happened was, is I placed a high value on the expertise I had. I had the mindset of a specialist. I did not want to act like a generalist. And as I would talk to clients, I would share with them, you know, if you were to have a shoulder issue, would you want to go to the generalist who knows a lot about all of your whole body? Or would you want to go to the shoulder specialist that all they did every day was work on shoulders and new shoulders in and out? And they would always say, I want to work with the shoulder specialist. And I would tell them, of all the advisors in town, there's a lot to choose from, but I'm a small slice in the pie as a retirement income specialist. I'm a fee-based advisor. So I was able to charge clients more because of the additional value and expertise I had, but also how I positioned myself to solve their unique problems. I would just tell for people who want to be an aspiring millionaire, specialists are going to do better financially than generalists because of how they're perceived by their potential customers and how they perceive themselves. A specialist acts and talks and makes decisions differently than a generalist does. And so one of the things that I did is I was able to defer some money into different uh, funds and so forth. And I just kept saving, saving, saving. Well, as the market came back up, what I thought was like $10,000 saved had grown to almost $100,000. And that was an epiphany for me thinking, wow, 
I was saving, 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 but compounding all of that really, really helped to grow, but also being in a business that had recurring revenue. So what I realized was in my business is I brought on clients and they were satisfied and happy and we continually added value to them. I received revenue every single year and that revenue would keep going up the more value I kept providing to those clients. So it wasn't like I had a dry cleaner where I had to wait every day for people to walk in and pay me. This money was coming in, whether I met with them once, twice, three times a year, or whenever. It was just recurring revenue. So that was a moment where I realized, wow, there's a pathway to become a millionaire because there's this steady income stream that's happening because I'm adding value. The other thing that occurred was, I remember this vividly. I, this was when Visa first IPO'd. Okay, now we'd all heard of Visa back in the day. And I just had a feeling this company is going to do really, really well because they already had all their payment structures in place. People used it. This was an easy investment. So I had 10 clients that we had talked to. And the moment that it went public, the day it began trading, I was in a hotel room on a trip, had all the client names there. We had the money ready to go and began to buy, 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 buy nine times, buy nine times, buy mine last. And then over the course of about 10 years, the $100,000 I put into that Visa stock grew to over a million dollars. And so that was a picture for me that, so not only did I work hard for the 100000 but the market worked hard for me to grow that tenfold. And so it gave me a whole new perspective that not only am I the CEO of myself, but I'm also the CEO of my money and making sure I'm telling my money specifically what to do. You know, as we joke about, you can't let your money hang out in the break room with no advice or guidance that spends itself on sodas and snacks. You want to make sure every dollar coming in has been told, here's where you're going and here's what I want you to do. And when you do that, you're making money twice. You're working hard for it to make sure the money's working as hard for you. So those two things for me were very, very eye-opening. And then just realizing also that when you hit that million-dollar mark, it's an accomplishment, but also you realize how little a million dollars actually generates an income. You really need to make the second million and the third million as soon as possible to keep the momentum going. But you're a different person at each level because sometimes... I meet people who realize, you know, Derek, I don't want to take as much risk now because what if I lose what I've built up? And so they miss out on opportunities that they would have taken when they didn't have much money at all, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it definitely does. I think that's it's counterintuitive to what we, emotion, our emotional logic, if you want to say it that way. We're afraid to lose something, so we hang on to it too tightly, and in the end, we lose it anyway. But I love what you're saying there. There's a lot of well principles. Said. There's a there's a lot of principles in uh, what you said. I think one that's kind of coming to mind for me, uh, too. I think actually is one is this concept of uh, 10x investments. You know, um, how can you take you know a hundred thousand dollars in your case and turn it into a million? Um, it's it's not. You know, I don't want to make it sound easy, but it's easier than what people might think because I think our our natural minds are to go, oh, that's a that's an illusion. That's a magic trick. It doesn't really happen. But I meet people every day that that make that happen, right? And um, and it, it's not necessarily the way that that some people teach it. Uh, you know, you talked about an individual stock through Visa. Um, you're not going to get those kinds of returns out of a mutual fund. Uh, you know, you're going to get a much lower uh, process. You're going to get a, a 
you might get a 10x in your lifetime. You wouldn't get it necessarily in 10 years, like you said. I think the other thing, which, you know, I've got a friend, uh, Cordell, Cordell Frazier. Uh, he, he started late on his millionaire journey. He started at age 37 and became a millionaire at age 46. He didn't even know what investing was. Uh, black, uh, black from the story. Wow. Yeah. He didn't even know what it was. He didn't, he didn't do debt though. He was fortunate not to do that, but he had, he had like $70,000 sitting in a savings account. And then when he discovered what investing was, he's, he can't get enough of it now. So he, his, he's rewired his mind. And I think that's one of the keys. If you want to build real wealth is you've got to rewire your mind that when you get some free money laying around or some extra cash laying around, you have to go, where do I need to stick this to multiply it? And I think that's the interesting thing is, you know, people who build a lot of wealth, that's how they think. They think about how does this money I just got, how can I make it make more money? And whereas the consumer mindset or people that are, you know, 78% of people living paycheck to paycheck, they're thinking like, what can I go buy with this money? I just got this money. Mm -hmm. What can I go buy? What did I spend? What bill can I pay? And there's a rewiring for these future millionaires listening to the show. That's a, that's a key element. Like it starts with your mindset. Like, how do you think about your life? That's what Derek's talking about. He did. He, I love your phrase, Derek, where you said, I didn't know that I could become a millionaire. I think that's where a lot of people are stuck today. And, And it's just not true. Like, that's why I coined the phrase, anyone can become a millionaire. Why not you? And, uh, you know, it's a little, it's a little bit harder for some people. You have to admit, you know, some people have different adversity and different problems, but the reality is I've seen enough stories now. Like, you know, if, if, a if a a Asian guy coming to America, who spent three years in a Chinese concentration camp as a high school kid can get out of that and then come to America and become a millionaire or, you know, story after story that I hear, that's, that's what I see. And I, and I love that. And I love your message Derek, about, you know, uh, doing more good, right? So what's the title in your book again? Good, good, Re- good money revolution, but what's yeah. the subtitle? Yeah, it's called good money revolution, how to make more money to do more good. And the reason I called it that was so many people think about charity or they think about giving as if I give to an organization or a charitable group, I take money out of my account. Therefore I lose and they win. And what I want to do is completely shift people's mindset, because especially those people listening who are a business owner, this concept that I've coined, the generosity purpose, this cause that either you care deeply about, or you pull your customers and clients and ask them, hey, we've decided to give a portion of our proceeds to help a cause that's important to you. What would you like that money to go toward? What that does is it's the greatest decommoditizing tool I have seen people use in business or in sales. I mean, let's face it, for most people, if you're an attorney, an accountant, in sales, a small business owner, whatever you're doing, a realtor, it's hard for people to determine what makes you different from this person. Everybody looks the same according to the customer. We all think we're different, but the customer sees us as indifferent. When you're giving and you're in the community and you're a person known as a community servant who provides great value to people. Giving is not a band-aid to cover up really bad service, okay? You need to be out there doing the hustle, really calling people back, meeting with them, delivering great value. But if you're also making the community that you live and work in better, people want to refer people because there's a story. If I just say, hey, I'm a financial advisor, people's eyes would roll back in their heads. But when they begin to realize, hey, that's Derek, he also helps people with their money, but he's helping make our community better. It's a story that invites people to want to be a part of, but it helps separate me from all the other advisors in town. And I think that principle 
can be applied to any business that wants to start. And one thing I would say, especially for those aspiring millionaires, if you're working for someone right now, you have to expect value for every dollar you spend and you make. And one of the things that I would tell you is don't just settle for the typical 4% raise or 5% raise. That is not going to get you to the million dollars. You need to identify in your job right now. And this is going to work because of the great resignation. People are leaving. There's, there's jobs you could take right now to get paid more than what you're making right now for the most part. You want to ask yourself, how can I increase sales, reduce costs, and bring in more customers? And if you can answer those questions about how you can do that in your job right now, taking that to your boss and saying, look, I found a way to help us grow the business or save money. I want to get a part of that. They're going to be much more likely to say yes, because it's not just a raise. It's a profit sharing that you've set up. For example, one of the the women that we canceled, she was a saver, saver, saver. Her family did very, very well. She was in charge of all the supplies at her company. And so we came up with an idea of every dollar that she found a way to save on supplies, she went to her boss and worked out a deal where she got a dime of that savings. So her boss saved 90 cents. She was given 10 cents and her boss loved it. He was incentivizing out of no money of his own. This was just out of savings, a reward for this team member to become a dollar detective. So wherever you're at right now, I just think it's game on. And if you own the business, I would encourage you to empower your employees, whatever their role is, to help you save money, make money, grow the business and incentivize them based on the gains in the business. doesn't cost you any more in payroll. This is out of the gains or the savings they find for you. It's a great way to build a culture where you're all working in the same direction. Yeah, that's great advice. And, you know, tying your your purpose uh, for making money. And and this is a shift for me. We'll wrap up with this is, you know, when I, when I was building my wealth and, you know, as you said, you know, thinking about your ability to make money, you know, I was a $35,000 year, $39,000 year guy. My wife started praying for 70 grand and then, you know, we surpassed that and kept going, but I didn't come from a culture or a family that believed you could make a hundred thousand or 200,000 or $300,000 a year. That was something that I stumbled into, but but I've never really, until the last few years, really tied the idea of purpose behind my money. Before it was like, hey, I made money, I gave money, I supported orphans, I supported you know human trafficking initiatives, things like that. But a real responsibility to go, hey, I have a responsibility or a purpose to make more money because I can do more good in the world. Like that's new thinking for me. Um, and you know, I love the idea that you've got that you've tied that so closely with your business model and you know the good money revolution to carry that message forward. I'm a big believer that if the good people don't have the money, the bad people do, and yes. uh, and we're, we don't want what they want. So uh, we yeah. want to make the we want to make the world a better place, not a not a worse place. So Derek, man, it's been a great time talking to you today on the show. I really appreciate it. How are people going to pick up a copy of Good Money Revolution and maybe give your podcast to listen to? You can go on Amazon.com is where you can pick up Good Money Revolution. It did hit the USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestseller list just a few weeks ago. So the, the message is getting received really well. Also on Instagram at Derek T. Kinney, we post daily content on how to make more money and do more good. And of course, the Good Money Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, aside from this one here. Awesome. I just noticed, you know, uh, Donald Miller, he did the forward on your book. Donald is a fantastic guy, and uh, he is a friend and an author that I hold in high regard, and uh, 
he helped pull this message out of me and bring it to life. I, I owe a lot to him. Yeah, Donald was uh, came down frequently at the Ramsey organization. I was at one of the uh, Entree Leadership events as a you know part of the team, and I remember escorting. I think it was maybe it was uh, San Antonio or Phoenix. Maybe it was a Phoenix event, and uh, Donald got in late, and I had to escort him through the property to to find where he needed to go. But he's a, he's a wonderful man. And uh, Derek, once again, thanks for being on the show. I look forward to talking to you. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to talk to someone about what to do with your money or career, but you didn't know who to ask? You can try to figure out how money works on your own, but it's a lot easier and a lot less painful with a mentor. But not just any mentor. You need a money mentor. A money mentor helps you understand the ins and outs of money, getting rid of your debt, setting up your investments, and figuring out ways to help you boost your income. Finding a money mentor is millionaire key number four, and it's one of the most important keys on your financial journey. Let me tell you about a special opportunity I have for you. For a limited time, I'm making myself available as your money mentor. You can book one hour with me for free. That's no charge. One hour may not sound like a lot, but with just one hour, I know I can have a huge impact on your life and finances. It's 100% free, no risk. Visit themillionairechoice.com and register for the free Money Mentor session. That's themillionairechoice.com and click on Money Mentor. That's a wrap for this episode of The Millionaire Choice. Remember, wealth is a result of getting smarter with your money. Wealth helps you enjoy life and help people. For resources, tools, and a community that will accelerate your millionaire journey, go to themillionairechoice.com. The Millionaire Choice Show shares the opinions and experiences of people and should not be considered financial advice. Before making your own financial choices, please seek out a registered financial advisor or certified financial planner.